Hi there, my name is Jenny Vasquez Newsom, and I am the guest host of season two of Mission Megaphone, a podcast production of Growth Network Podcast. In this season of Mission Megaphone, we are amplifying the overlooked leadership experiences and expertise of leaders of color. These conversations will challenge traditional definitions of leadership, disrupting the status quo by centering the skill, ingenuity, and capabilities of impactful BIPOC identifying leaders from across industries. And today, my guest is Mondi Kambula Fraser, Vice President of Government Relations and General Counsel for the Consortium of Universities of the Washington Metropolitan Area. Mondi, thank you for joining today. Thank you for having me, Jenny. Yes, I'm looking forward to kind of digging into this conversation around leadership, career, everything that you've experienced in your trajectory. And we'd love to just start with you letting us know a little bit more about what you do. That could be defined broadly. You do a lot probably through work, but even beyond that. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Absolutely. I serve, as you mentioned, as vice president and general, vice president of government relations and general counsel for the Consortium of Universities of the Washington Metropolitan Area, which means that I handle for legal affairs and government relations for higher education institutions in the District of Columbia. And we also have some institutions in Maryland and Virginia. So I work on all sorts of issues, everything from food insecurity to student loans to employment issues and all sorts of different issues related to students. In addition, I also serve as an adjunct professor with the University of Baltimore, Maryland, Baltimore County, and I uh, teach civil rights, and I also teach law, politics, and educational policy. In addition to that, I am a wife and uh, a mother of, of two wonderful boys. That is a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> So tell us, you know, a little bit about your origin story. Like, how did you get to this point? Where did you begin? So to begin, I am a, a very proud daughter of the African diaspora. I have a, an interesting background in the sense that my mother was from the South in Alabama, and my father was or is from Zimbabwe. So I, I grew up kind of with a foot in, in, in both worlds, having a, a strong interest in, in, in cultural identity. I actually spent part of my childhood in Zimbabwe as well. And so that's, you know, kind of my my origin story. Um, and I could go further or is that? Well, I love to hear it. So how does your origin, in how has it informed kind of your career trajectory, if at all? Uh, how, how do you make it? It certainly has. Yeah. Um, my uh, mother, she passed some years ago and she was a, a school teacher and she was very focused on making sure because I had moved from the, the inner city. I was born in Inglewood, California. When I was about six years old, we moved to Covina, California, where we were the only black family at our school of approximately 800 students. So she had to kind of fortify us to go into that environment every single day to make sure that we realized that regardless of some of the things that we might hear, whether it be someone uh, not expecting as much from us or making some type of a racial comment, that we had to have pride in our African-American culture and in our history 
Uh, I remember when I was young because my my full first name is Mondanema and no one had a name like Mondanema. I'm actually named after my paternal grandmother from Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. And so I used to tell people, oh, my name when I was five or six, seven years old, my name is Monique, because I figured that was more of a, a common name that people were familiar with because people would tease me. Is your name Menudo? Is it condominium? All sorts of things. And I remember her saying to me, you know, what are you doing? You should be very proud of who you are and your name. How many African-Americans don't know their original name? And you know yours and you're named after your paternal grandmother. That is an honor. And just at that young age, it kind of fortified me to know that despite some of the noise you might hear from outside to always be centered and, and confident in who I was. And I definitely think that has informed me uh, throughout my my leadership journey. Wow. Uh, thank you for sharing that story. And I, you know, I, it resonates in those like experiences from our youth, how yes. they stick uh, and to have been fortified by, by your mother while you're navigating spaces where you don't, you know, find others that, that look like you or have you yes. almost uh, are very othered even through just a name. Um, but to hold on to a fortification, you know, I, in a way, I can hear it in your presence just now. I mean, really, in kind of thank the you. way you uh, show up. And so, uh, thank you for sharing that that origin story. When you're thinking about, you know, the trajectory of your career and in you know the experiences that you've had, have there been kind of other critical moments in your leadership experience or trajectory or career moments that have informed and really just. Um, uh, set a tone for how you lead? Are there any other experiences that really have informed you? Yes. Um, I will start with my parents again, and then I'll move forward from there because they were um, so influential in my life. So I would say that I, I kind of come from an, uh, an, an outspoken activist family. And uh, so my father was the first person in his family coming from Zimbabwe, not only just to graduate from high school, to go to college, graduate school, and receive a PhD, he was the first person to graduate from elementary school. So he uh, was very uh, strong in in who he was and uh, dealt with a lot of racism, uh, was even kicked out of high school when he was in Zimbabwe and managed to get a scholarship to come to the United States because he was speaking up against segregation. Um, My mother, after we moved to the suburbs, she would drive. She had a, a, received a, a, a job at a school, a predominantly white school in our neighborhood, but she turned that down and chose to drive 45 minutes each way, 90 minutes round trip to drive into the inner city in Los Angeles because she said the black and brown children need me more. So that was my first introduction to educational equity and speaking up on social justice issues and realizing that even though you may receive a lot, that you have a a commitment to giving back. So between the two of them, um, I've always been someone who's been rather, you know, direct and outspoken. I'm sometimes the person who will ask the question that everyone's whispering about in the back of the room. I'm the one who will raise my hand and say, "Mm, this doesn't seem right (laughs) or stand up on things. But it's because of how I was raised. When you come with parents like that who are very strong in their value system, it it certainly centered me as well. And I imagine that is essential in the work that you do now. 
how do you harness that in, in your current work and your current role, the challenges that you work in? How does that show up for you? It shows up for me in the sense that while I do uh, traditional legal work in my general counsel role, and I also work on other issues related to government relations, I have a strong commitment to purpose-driven work. And whenever it's possible to infuse that, I certainly do. Uh, my prior role before working with the consortium, I was the director of the Black and Brown Coalition for Educational Equity and Excellence which focused specifically on pre-K through 12, low-income and minority children in making sure that they had access to classes for you know, gifted courses to increase the number of African-American teachers and, and principals so that they could see people who look like them. In my current role, I've introduced some initiatives that were new to the consortium. For example, when I learned that 40% of college students suffer from food insecurity, I went to my boss, spoke to him about it. I established a partnership with the Capital Area Food Bank, and we had our first ever regional college hunger conference, which included student testimonials and, and best practices and, and university presidents. We plan to do that again this October. But when I hear something, I feel moved to act and to see what we can possibly do to change a situation. So that's kind of how it informs some of my work. In the teaching aspect, I'm a daughter of educators, so it comes very naturally for me. But in my teaching the class on law and politics and educational policy, I also infuse an emphasis on educational equity because I think that is mm -hmm. so important in talking about current events and making sure that it's not just about the singular person, but that you're also thinking about how you can have a positive impact on others. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, what I'm hearing is that your origin story, the foundational experiences with your family and kind of the, the way that you saw your parents contribute to the world now informs how you contribute to the world. And really even thinking about 40% of students experiencing food insecurity on campuses, likely that has been a unseen or unspoken reality where like it's on the margins as far as a quote-unquote college experience. Yes. And yet you saw the issue and did something based on the the role and authority that you hold. And so I, you know, I'm just reflecting back what I'm the impact that I'm hearing from your leadership that that I really appreciate and value. And in thinking about that, then how do you define leadership? If you were to think about, okay, Mondi, this is how I define it. Like what would you say? I would define leadership as doing what is best for the organization, the business, the community as a whole, as opposed to just focusing on what's best for yourself. I would define it as moving with intention. I live my life very much based on my, my principles, and I am directed by my moral compass, and I am a strong person in my faith. And so there certainly have been times in my life when others would kind of walk away from a situation or not stand up and speak up on an issue where something was unethical or improper. I feel convicted. I feel like I, I have to stand and to lead and, and leaders make the hard decisions. I also believe that leadership is helping others to develop as well. It's not just about you. Because I am a lawyer, I like to hear both sides of everything. I always say I have no ego in this. So I'm very much interested in hearing what other people have to say and balancing information from both sides before making any type of decision. So I am not one who just appreciates, yes, people. I like people to challenge me. 
I might learn something from you. You might tell me something that I didn't know and help to redirect me if I was going in a direction that perhaps, you know, wasn't the, the right one on a legislative issue or something like that. So I believe in listening to the people that you are leading and taking the ego out of it and realizing that you're not there just to serve yourself. You're there to, to serve others. Yeah, I love that. In thinking about your day-to-day and either in this role or past roles, how does that play out? Like if you're thinking about like really tangible ways and then how you lead, what do you do to, to exercise that? I like to always, like I, I say, I say to people, I have no ego in this. Let's poke holes. I like mm-hmm. to poke holes. If I'd rather hear it internally before I take it out into the world and find out that we're missing something. Let's check both sides of the issues. What are all the possible arguments that somebody could come up with that would be uh, the opposite of that? I also have some very core friends. I know which friends to call when you want certain things. There are certain friends that you call for comfort, um, which is wonderful. But there are also friends who will give you the gut check or the reality check when you need it. And I know when to call those people too and say, I want to hear the truth. Let me know the truth. Because I have a lot of energy and I have a lot of ideas. And and sometimes you need people who are willing to kind of share with you the pros and cons and, and, and pitfalls and things like that. So that kind of helps me in my leadership. Yes, I agree with the quote unquote board of advisors that you have to have around you and you always need those few that will just call you out. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's what makes me stronger as a person. And that's what makes me a better leader because I'm smart enough to know I don't know everything. That's right. That's right. And I want to kind of double back to this idea of like taking the ego out of it, particularly in leadership, because I think a lot of times when we like traditionally thought about leadership, it's about direction, taking charge, being in front or just, you know, really being first. There's a lot of ego kind of embedded into quote unquote leadership. Have you ever come against, you know, a resistance or like a moment where it was uncomfortable taking ego out of it in your experience? Or have others been maybe surprised at your approach of like kind of taking the ego out of the leadership? Or have you found it to be like a natural progression for you? Like it feels natural and you're able to exhibit your leadership in this way. I say that when I'm working with a a team because I want them to feel empowered to speak up. I want them to feel empowered to speak up where I haven't received as much resistance with something like that because I am, of course, steering the ship and leading, but I'm also saying, this is what I think. This is the direction I think we should go in. Does anyone have any ideas? I have no ego in this. You see some holes, let's poke through and let's talk it through now because I don't want to be embarrassed later because you didn't tell me. I haven't so much experienced any resistance in that. I think when I have experienced resistance, it's it's possibly more when you are a woman who is confident, who knows what you bring to the table and who is not afraid to question authority, that can certainly make some people feel uncomfortable mm. in that space. Uh, Because there are some who are males, but there are also women sometimes who are more comfortable feeling that as a woman, you should shrink back rather than standing and speaking. I've certainly, you know, had my instances when I've encountered something like that. But I do, as I call my style, I say pointed, yet polite. So I will ask the question. I'm in the room because I am an intelligent person. And if I'm not speaking, 
then what's the point of me being there? Mm -hmm. If I'm not speaking, what's the point of me being there? That lands. And now I have to get your thoughts on how you navigate those moments. Because I'll speak personally, like there's moments where I haven't spoken in the past and earlier in my career. I'm really thinking yes. about like, I didn't speak because I felt like the only or, you know, just was representing perspectives that weren't necessarily dominant in that space. Yes. What do you do to navigate those those moments, those challenges? Because I imagine a lot of folks that li are listening have been yes. there. You know, where do you find that that fortitude and exercise in those challenging moments? So for me, it's about living with authenticity and it's about owning who you are as a as a person. And so there are certainly people who might take that kind of step back approach. And for me, I think it's important. Otherwise, I won't feel good about myself. My mother used to always mm -hmm. say, you want to feel good about yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror. So I am one that even though it may be uncomfortable in the moment, I'm still going to speak because I feel convicted, you know, based on my faith, based on my ethics. So um, when I say pointed yet polite, my whole thing is I say, well, I've, I've heard this, but I, I have a little concern. Maybe we can talk about it this way. There are ways to be able to say it, mm. but the point will be made. But the point certainly will be made. And then I'm willing to listen because I want to, to hear, but I'm not in the room as decoration. I'm not there just to, to say that you have a woman in the room or that you have a person of, of color in the room or just to say you have someone you know who's a legal person in the room, whatever it is that people mm. are, are thinking about. But I think it's important if I'm not using my voice, I, I feel like I will regret it later. And there certainly have mm. been times when I was earlier in my career when I didn't feel as empowered. Every time I have not spoken on an issue, I've always regretted it later. It always comes yeah. back. And I think, Mondi, you should have said this and that and the other. So I find it's better that I go ahead and speak. That's my superpower. <laughs> yes, I love that because you're, you're right. The regret sticks to you much, much longer than the event itself. And, you know, understanding the realities of kind of it speaking and, and making the point and, and, and doing so in a way that it will be heard. I think that I'm hearing that there's like strategy, there's thought around that, there's awareness around that, that is, is real. Um, and then it's kind of an approach that the point will be made. The point will be made, but you're using your emotional intelligence. You're being respectful, but you're still, right. well, I said this, but it doesn't quite make sense to me. So I'm wondering if you could explain, da, 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 da. so it's not in, in some type of a aggressive tone or anything like that. That's why I say pointed, but polite, but the yeah. point will be made. I love that. I love that. So from your standpoint, what do you think is a common misperception of leadership today. I mean, I think there's, you know, centuries of theories and research around leadership. And now there's a lot of, you know, more framing around authentic leadership, empathetic leadership, they're just endless. But what do you think of the common misperception uh, that you've either experienced or see, or you have witnessed being talked about? Absolutely. I think it, it's that um, leaders cannot be challenged and that leaders cannot be wrong. I think that is a, a big one. I've I've certainly seen or, or been in, in spaces sometimes when people have a lot of ideas and they feel like the leader doesn't, I don't want to hear you. 
I already know what I'm going to do. I don't really need your opinion. And I think that sometimes people think if I, I lay the hammer down and I'm not open to listening. And, and like I said, I always listen. I might, you might change my mind. You might teach me something. I think that some leaders think that that is being strong. I think that sometimes there is strength in vulnerability. There is strength in authenticity. There is strength in a leader saying, I don't know everything. I, I don't know everything <laughs> and I, I need a team around me in order to support me, in order to help execute my vision. I find that people are much more likely to work with you that way. But I do think that's something that people do, misperception or, or something that people have about, about leadership is, is, is assuming that the person who lays down the hammer is always right. And, and even if you know that they're wrong, that you can't say something or ask a question or suggest an idea. That resonates for me. You know, I think that I don't, we just have to be real. I, there's no one person that has all the answers. It doesn't matter what position. Now, because I've had this debate, um, this conversation with a lot of folks around, you know, just admitting that we don't know everything, kind of the struggle of what sometimes is expected of leaders. Like there's a, I think, a tension or a friction of like, we still hold on to this expectation that leaders have all the answers, that know what to do, that we're looking for that like safety in someone leading us. And then this challenges that. I just love your thoughts on like, how do you mend a little bit of that disconnect of like this expectation that the leader knows everything. Mm -hmm. And yet the reality is the leaders don't know everything. No, they don't. And I'll, I'll bring in the layer of, you know, leading as a woman of a color, just all the societal expectations or just the realities of being one of the few women of color that are in like executive roles and, and whatnot, that there's some risk of saying we don't know everything, that there's like some, there could be fallout, I, I would say, in, in that I would love your thoughts on like just unpacking that a little bit. <laughs> I think it's worse if you pretend you know everything and you don't, because that's when you could have a very uncomfortable situation. I'm very quick if I don't know something. I mean, I'm an intelligent person. I can research it. I could say, you know, that's an interesting question. I don't have the answer just yet, but let me research that and I will get back to you. That's an honest answer. I don't think that compromises my authority as a leader it's being honest. What would be horrible, especially in my field and with the law, and you have to be very precise. And if you give someone the wrong information, there could be very strong or, or dire implications. I have to be clear and be sure. So it would be worse if I just made up an answer just because I'm on the spot rather than just say, that's an interesting question. I haven't you know, come across that issue. So give me till the end of the day. I'll research it and get back to you. And then I always do research and I always do get back to them. But um, I think it would be worse if I, I made up something in the spur of the moment, because one, you could have people who rely on misinformation. Two, you never know who's in the room. And I have seen it too many times where someone pretends they know something and then there's that voice in the back of the room. I thought you said blah, blah, blah. Well, I just read this morning, such and such is true. That's when you lose when people decide they don't have as much confidence in you or you lose credibility, it's when you pretend that you know when you really don't. So I'm fine with being honest. 
That's right. And I think that's the important distinction is that we're worried that if we say we don't know something, we lose credibility. But that's not the case. It's when you pretend you know something and then you actually don't. That is a loss of credibility. Absolutely. So who are some leaders that inspire you? You know, I know your parents have clearly led and informed and inspired your outlook. But are there any other folks that you kind of think of when you think of leaders who inspire you, who inform you? Yes. So as I mentioned, I'm a very strong person of of faith. So I am inspired by by God. I I listen to my pastor, uh, Matthew Watley with Kingdom Fellowship AME Church. I I listen, I I walk every day and I usually listen to uh, either a sermon or an inspirational podcast or something to kind of get my mind right at the beginning of the day to start with intention. So T.D. Jakes and, you know, Joel Osteen. Um, I also have, you know, great admiration for you know, Marion Wright Edelman and, and the Children's Defense Fund and her, the fact that she had so much that, uh, and she could have gone in many different directions with her career, but what she chose to do was to give what she had to children. For years and years, I am, I'm so inspired by her and her, her leadership. I think of Michelle Obama, who I, I know many of us admire, but I was very taken by what she said in her latest book tour when she kind of talked about some of the, the struggles, even though she's a, a woman uh, who was, is in her own right highly accomplished in the legal field and in and, and, and many other areas that chose to say that sometimes I have moments that are, are difficult. And for me, that, that again demonstrates there is strength in authenticity and, and vulnerability because then people can relate to you. I like people who share something about themselves and don't always pretend to be strong all the time because that's not realistic. So those are the types of, of, of people who inspire me and those who feel like there is a higher calling mm. that when it would be easy to just be comfortable and, and sit back and, and kind of enjoy your life and worry about your next vacation. They're trying to figure out how they can move the needle forward to make life better for, for other people. Yeah. I always think about, you know, leadership. It's, it's not about you. It never is about no. you. It's bigger. Um, and to remind ourselves of that and that really connects with like the ego as well is that, you know, while yes, career attainment, the positions like getting paid for what we're doing, you know, all those aspects are yes, important, but ultimately our leadership purpose is bigger than us if we're doing it well. <laughs> That's right. And I have to echo, you know, I just finished Michelle Obama's latest book as well. And you're right that there's this power in telling the authentic story, the real yes. story. So Thinking about, you know, this work is really around untapped leadership potential. Like, what are we missing? What are we overlooking? My work is really focused on racially marginalized leaders, but we're missing it probably a lot when we're thinking about leadership. What are two things from your perspective when kind of thinking about untapped leadership potential? What would you want listeners to do or consider or think about after listening to this, regardless of how they identify? What comes to mind for you? I think it's to listen to your instincts and when you have an opportunity to make a difference in the life of someone, because you never know what anyone is going through. You have no idea what people are going through to definitely speak up. I think for dealing with people who were earlier in their, in their careers and for children is to realize that your voice does matter. 
that your voice is important, even if it's different, even if you look different from everyone else in the room, even if your opinion is different from everyone else's in the room, that your voice is still valuable. I realize that when, especially for young people, there is the pressure to kind of go along to get along. And I want them to know that pressure exists in the adult world too. Absolutely. But if you are moving based on your morals and your values and your principles, then you will never regret your actions. What you will regret is that if you do things based on other people's expectations or just to fit into a certain environment and you compromise yourself, that is something you may never get over. But if you can look at yourself in the mirror and know that I stood when I should have stood, I spoke up, I helped people when I should have, that is something that will give you peace in your spirit. Thank you. I love that. Particularly thinking about being young, being in your youth and and trying to create your own foundation as a person, as an identity, all those aspects. Um, it, it is very challenging, but I think recalling or understanding that that journey continues <laughs> into adulthood. It's continuous work. <laughs> you might even ratchet up in, in, in those particular <laughs> times and, and, and circles sometimes. I actually attended Howard University, which was also a pivotal moment for me. I, As I mentioned, I grew up in this neighborhood where we were one of the two Black families in the entire neighborhood, only Black family in the in the school. And so my mother said, I think you need to go to an HBCU. You know, she thought there were certain things that I was missing. And when I went there, I actually have to admit, I was a little nervous going mm. because I thought, you know, physically, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm brown and melanin yeah. and, you know, African background, but I wondered, would I be accepted in mm. certain environments where I'm used to being the only black person in the room? Well, now I'm in an environment where everyone is, is African-American. Will they think I'm black enough in that environment? Yeah. And so I thank her for putting me in that space and recommending that I do that because whereas race was something I was a lot more you know, conscious of when you're the, the only person, you, you kind of think about that more. I was in a space where people were deciding whether they wanted to be in the Black Republicans Club or the Democrats Club. That wasn't the focus. It was more yeah. that you could focus on some of the internal things, some of the issues you cared about. I you know, participated in protests and rallies and those types of things. And so I think for me, that was a, a pivotal part of my journey in being able to kind of focus on other other things that helped mm. kind of develop my, my core and as, as to you know, things that kind of matter for me. Yeah, that's powerful to to reflect on because I hadn't thought about how environment really shapes what we're concerned about or what we're like thinking about, particularly if you've navigated spaces where you feel your race a little bit more that then that takes your attention. But if that shifts, then then where else would your attention be where, you know, that really struck me just now as you described that, like really thinking about particularly for leaders of color, marginalized leaders, folks that just you don't, don't see representation of themselves in professional spaces, how much attention or just mental space goes to like just feeling race. Trying to have that 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 belonging and that identity and and not that I I didn't have a, a you know positive childhood because I I did, but I you know I did have the moments where my AP history teacher decided that she was going to reenact slavery one day for class, and I remember the night before I had knots in my stomach. 
I was so upset, but I didn't know how to verbalize it, you know, at 16 years old in that class or when everyone would bring up some of our Black icons and everyone turns to look at you like you're the spokesperson of, for Black America when you're 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. That's that's heavy. And so even though you may not speak about it because there's no one really to speak to, I, you also a lot of times, I think, have parents or, or children who think, well, what your parents are saying, well, I moved you to this neighborhood. I wanted you to have a better life. We worked hard for this. And you don't want to disappoint them by telling them sometimes that there are some struggles that are involved there, too. So being in an environment for me at that time in my life when I didn't have to think about those things and I felt such uh, belonging and inclusion and there were people who had grown up like me, people who had not grown up like me. I got to learn about people from different cultures and, and countries and everything else. It was very important for, for my development as a, as a young person. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. My last question for you, what is your big ambition for this year? What's, <laughs> what is top of mind for Mondi? What are you doing this year? <laughs> well, I, I want to create a medium for children that moves them forward and it empowers them regardless of you know, their, their you know, socioeconomic status and, and, and provides opportunities for them to reach their, their full potential. For children of color, I think that is important, and, and children who've been marginalized. I think that our society has made some progress, but there is still so much more to be done. That's that's certainly a very strong calling that is uh, is very important to me, especially as the the mother of two boys, two African American boys, you know, who were just as excited about video games and everything else. But then you see something about George Floyd or something flash across the, the screen. There are imprints of other things that impact them. So that's not just, you know, straight innocence the way that it really should be. So considering, you know, my background in the, in the law and as an advocate and, and as an educator myself, I'd like to kind of use that skill set even more to um, have a positive impact and, and, and provide hope. The world needs you, Mondi. <laughs> yes, yes. It's comforting to hear that's your big ambition. Uh, I applaud that that focus um, because I think it, you know, as young people and having been a young person, we all have been. Those are just the formative experiences. It's and hard really can create the trajectories within which we follow, and so those are the the years. Thank you for sharing your big ambition with us. Thank you so much for this conversation, for sharing your insights, your own perspectives, and, and really your leadership in, in reframing or just re-expanding how we think about leadership. Um, I really valued every, everything you've shared today in this conversation. Are there ways that folks can connect with you, either website, email, anything that you want to like share out? Absolutely. Uh, my email address, I'm certainly open to connecting. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Mondi Kambula Fraser, and my email address is M as in Mary, K as in King, F as in Frank, R A S as in Sam, E R, the number nine at outlook.com, M K Fraser nine at outlook.com. Um, and I also, if, if people would like to have more information, I did because you know we're we connected through Chief, we're both in Chief, That's right. and then we have the principal post which provides a little bit more insight into to who I am as a, a person and what I value and what I would like to contribute to the world. So you can certainly find that online. 
as well too but i love hearing from people i love connecting with people and, and listening to them like i said from every conversation i always learn something always well i i learned a lot so thank you for everything that you you brought to this conversation today and for everything that you're contributing to the world so good to talk thank you so much jenny i appreciate the opportunity If you've ever wanted to edit your own videos or podcasts, but were overwhelmed by how complicated the software was, you are in luck. Descript, or Descript, is a magical tool that allows you to edit text as if you're editing a Google Doc. We use it for this show and use it collaboratively with clients and co-producers on all of our shows. And trust me, it's easy to learn. Click our affiliate link in the show notes to discover the magical tool for yourself. And if you want some guidance on how to learn and use it, please sign up for our Magic of Descript newsletter.